You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who have come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they have washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever refiles father father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, His disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, My name's Casey. I'm one of uh, the pastors here at Free City Church. And uh, if you're with us for the first time, man, we hope you feel really, really welcome. Uh, We hope that uh, if you don't know anyone, uh, you'll meet someone before you leave. And uh, we hope uh, that if you have a lot of questions about the scriptures, that there'd be something from the text uh, that would actually touch something in your life. Like this is where uh, we, uh, I mean, we're, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, I don't think I'm a mystic, but this is where we, we really hope and we dream. Like when we uh, come for a liturgy or when we come and we pray and when we come and we sing worship songs together, uh, ultimately that's the only time we're saying the same truths and we're trying to transform something in us. Like when we declare the same things together as God's people, people, we're saying something about who God is, trying to convince our hearts to believe that. We're trying to awaken something, and it doesn't matter how much we say it. It doesn't matter how loud I yell at you when I preach. It only matters if the Spirit of God quickens something in your soul. And so if you look at this text, you're, you're going to see a lot of dirty words, like not curse words, um, dirty words. It talks about things being dirty or defiled or needing to be washed. And the question that we want to ask is like, although people might have disagreements about you know, whether something is clean enough or too dirty, I think we're actually all haunted by something in our souls, that there is something about me that is not presentable. Like there's a fear in us that if you see something like all of me, if you see how I think or if you see like my hypocrisy or if you see whatever might be on the list, there's a fear. Would you ever respect me again? There's a fear. Would I be loved if someone actually saw all that I've done and all that is within me? And like ultimately, like we might have like a little different line that says, well, that's too far. That's not far enough. Just like we we disagree about what is actually clean. Like, have you ever noticed that the things that you would say, oh, that's filthy, are just fine to other people? 
Like, like right now, if like right there, you're like, mm, like you just kind of, yes, I've noticed that. Um, that's because you, uh, you have a roommate, like you have a roommate. And if your roommate just did that, they think you're dirty, okay? But that's okay. You just think they're uptight. I mean, that, you know, but we can look at different things and we can say, yeah, I just don't know. I think that's fine. You know, when I uh, was in college, I lived in a fraternity house. And, um, like, the cleanliness was unacceptable. Maybe condemnable. I'm not for sure. But I, I like to think that it set me up for life as far as my immune system. Like, I think there was a season of my life that my blood was, like, gold standard. I mean, there's, there's not an antibody I didn't have. But then I moved from there into a house with a five other guys, and we had one roommate, like, you know, there's a settled amount, like we agree on this type of cleanliness, and it's always the person, like the high or the lows that they stand out, and there was one guy, he'll remain nameless, his name is Sammy Griffin, he's a banker in Oklahoma City, um, he, uh, I witnessed Sammy, one, I, we were out on the boat, we were on the lake, and his little brother, we were tubing, and no one actually likes tubing, it's just a status that you can show people just how tough you are, you know? And so he was tubing, and I saw Sammy getting so frustrated. He could not throw his little brother off the tube, no matter how hard he tried. And so at one point, I saw it in his eyes. We were approaching the beach, and I saw it in his eyes. I was like, no, you're, you're not going to do it. And I saw the glimpse, and I'm, like, I'm going to do it. He threw his little brother onto the beach. He turned it and threw his brother on a beach. That is aggravated assault. And I get it because I was aggravated at him too. But I mean, and he survived. He's fine. He's fine. Sammy had a problem where he would always like make things and leave his dishes out. Like right now, like if you're like, I saw some of you want to amen that. And if your roommate's with you or your spouse is with you, um, you can work that out later. <clears throat> But he'd always leave stuff out. So we made a rule. I mean, we didn't have an official meeting. There wasn't like, you know, a gavel involved. We made a rule. You leave something out, like food, it goes on your pillow. And so after this uh, one night of a greasy nacho pillow event, uh, there were a series of unresolved house meetings. But I was like, hey, man, you left it out. That's the rule. And come, you know, came in late and like on his pillow is like this greasy leftover nacho thing. I mean, that gets your attention. I mean, that's not acceptable in any culture anywhere. But even though we might look at something and someone be just fine with it, and someone like, man, we need to clean it, we all have a sense that things can be unpresentable because we feel they're dirty. Like, have you ever just felt unpresentable? H have you ever gotten through like a scenario of events and you felt stained or you felt defiled or you just felt dirty? Like not merely the discomfort of dirt on your skin, not merely that, but like a dirt on the inside that you don't know if there's any solution for. So you try to outrun it or you try to get past it or you try to point other people in different directions so they can't see it. Like if it comes up, you start to say, yeah, but look at this part of my life. Why do we all have similar stories? Like a dirt within. Has there ever been moments of your life that you felt, gosh, if people saw me, the real me, they would deem me as unpresentable? Have you ever feared that God would do the same? See, the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, it, it, it's continuing to grow. You know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to kind of tip over to the back half of Mark. And at the back half of Mark, we're walking to the cross. It has been decided. The religious leaders get to a place where they say, he has to die. We've already seen the, the conspiring that's going around. And I know you're asking, like, hey, why did we, I've had people, why did we skip this section? I'm like, I don't know. We just can't do it all right now. I mean, we don't want to be here for the rest of our lives. Um, so we skip some things. And actually, a question was asked, why did we skip? You said we're doing, focusing on the doings. Why did we skip uh, Jesus casting out the legion of demons? That's a doing. And I just said, man, good point. But we skipped it. I don't know. 
but focusing on what Jesus is doing because he's giving us a piece of the kingdom. He says when he taught us how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it should be translated as the kingdom of God is progressively coming. Jesus set his hand to the plow and he's bringing the kingdom of God and we see what it looks like. And right here, we've seen a bunch of Sabbath controversies, what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. We've seen Jesus stand up and say, listen, the Sabbath is mine to do what I want. The Sabbath has always pointed to a rest that you need in your life, but it's ultimately been pointing to a rest that your soul needs. Then I am that rest. No amount of vacation is going to give it to you. No amount of like room service is going to provide it. No amount of getting the job done and feeling accomplished will soothe your soul. It will always have another layer, another step. But Jesus says because of the power of what he's done, because of the gospel that is yours, everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. There is a rest that you get to say when striving ceases when striving ceases but now we turn to a new controversy the argument in mark 7 is between jesus and the religious leaders about what makes us clean before god and if you notice jesus doesn't disagree that we're unclean he doesn't say man you guys aren't even that bad he doesn't do that at all he affirms that there is an uncleanliness problem there is a problem inside of us but it doesn't get there the way we think he affirms it he just greatly disagrees about how we fix it and so we're going to look at this with under three headings and so first, we're just going to say, what, what is the problem? And that's like that feel. Like there's a feel of dirt upon our soul. And if you stop and you look, you will feel it. And then the second thing, like what are our solutions? And all the solutions that we see are doing. What shall we do? What shall we do? What can we avoid? And then finally, we're going to look at what is Jesus' solution? And if you're going to put a word there, Done what has been done. And so the first thing, what is the problem we feel? And the problem is we feel like we are unclean and unpresentable. And so like we have this deep sense that there is something wrong with us. I, I was reading, I, I can't get this number right, but it was something about like a child psychologist and it says children have a sense that there's something wrong inside of them. And that, why, that means if you give them like, hey, you did that wrong, but you did this great. If it's a one for one, the psychologist said, you're going to mess them up. Like, I think it was something like, you need like seven positives for one negative. Like, there's something inside of us that we're born with that says, I don't measure up. You know, so, like, looking at that, like, it's something to say, like, this is an area of me in me or something that, something, <clears throat> something, something uh, that feels unpresentable. I don't want others to see. And when others see it, we want to justify its existence with excuses. We want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. You caused that because of what you did. Any reasonable person would have done what I did. You caused it. Or we want to say it's because of something that was done to me. And I'm not saying those things aren't real. I'm saying that Jesus says the cause is actually much deeper than that. And so just like a little overview like this stain that I'm presenting that I think we have inside of us that we want to hide. Like this stain that's here. Like if you just do an overview, look at verses 1 through 5. Like the Pharisees are looking at the disciples and they're saying, how dare you not wash the right way? Like they're saying like there is a problem of dirtiness and they're, they're going with a solution that they actually have built a whole oral law around. And so they're saying there is a problem of dirtiness. And then if you look in verses 6 through 13, Jesus doesn't deny that there's a stain in humanity. He just affirms there is a stain in humanity. It's just what you're doing can't actually fix it. At best, it can point at it. And it can exercise that idea deep into your heart that there is a stain in humanity. And then if you look at the end, verses 14 through 20, like Jesus tells the problem is actually much worse than they thought. 
It says, it's like, our problem is not that we might get polluted from things on the outside. It says, our problem is all the pollution on the outside is from our hearts coming out of us. He says, the problem is much deeper. And so, like, don't miss this. I feel like I'm dancing. Did you guys hear the music? Um, like, don't miss this. Like, it's saying everyone is affirming that there is something wrong, that there is something we feel we must hide. There's something that we are prone to blame shift. It's saying there is a stain that must be cleaned up. But now the question is, how do we fix it? And this is where we're going to unpack most of the, the, the scripture. And so how do we unfix it? So what are our solutions? Like the stain that we feel, do we have any solutions? And I've kind of pulled out three here. Like there's an outside-in solution. And so you can just write these down if you want to. Like we, and I'm going to describe it. An outside-in solution, there's a point-and-yell solution, actually really popular right now, um, a point-and-yell solution. And then there's a run-and-hide solution. And so look at this, outside in, we focus on outside behavior change to fix something on the inside that we are just certain is wrong. Like we put like barriers around things and we think, man, if I just stop doing that, it'll fix me. And sometimes we're successful and stop doing that. Usually we're not very successful. We're just successful for a season. But even if we're successful, if we're honest, we see the same thing inside of our heart come out in a different way. And so this is a solution. Look at verse 1. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. We see a dirty word. That is unwashed, another dirty word. And the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless the, they wash their hands, a dirty word, properly, holding to the traditions of elders. We're going to come back and deal with that later. Verse 4, it says, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. We see that word again. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots, and copper vessels, and dining couches. Like, I want you to look at that word, traditions of the elders. Like, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, I just kind of want you to see the scene. Like, the Pharisees and the scribes, like, they have an opinion about Jesus. They're mad at Jesus. Jesus is, like, messing up their system. Jesus is asking them questions that they don't want to answer. Jesus is making them look like a fool. Like they're already conspiring with the Herodians. And so that's like the most conservative person you could think about coming together with the most liberal person you could think about to say, we have to stop Jesus. It's deep. But like I want you to see in this, see, in this scene, they have an opinion about Jesus and now they're looking for evidence to support that opinion. Now, if right now you're like, yes, I see it. Those silly, silly Pharisees. You're a Pharisee. We do this all the time. We naturally, like, we quickly make an opinion about something. And if we don't stop and we don't doubt our opinion and we don't put through a battery of tests, we will find influences. We will find evidence to support where we started. It's the brokenness. We, and we find evidence because we want to feel rational. Like, you don't want to give the answer of, like, hey, why do you hate that dude? Because I hate him, you know? I mean, that doesn't sound very rational. So we find evidence. You know, when I uh, first part of church planting before they said, go do it. Um, and I felt like they were kind of like, eh, go do it, you know? Um, I went through a battery of these personality tests. And one, they said I'm a persister, um, which I didn't know what that meant. Um, and they started to describe it. And he's like, hey, have you ever, like, you know, you knew someone, and then you started hanging out with them, and you had a moment of like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to like you, but I think I do. Like, have you ever had that moment? I was like, yes. He's like, that's how persisters feel. Like, you have this idea, and you're just convinced of this idea, and then you get evidence that's contrary to the idea, and you're like bewildered. You almost feel like switched and baited. This is all of us. And so they're looking 
for evidence. It's a part of this human stain that is coming out of the religious leaders right now. Like we make up our minds about if we like someone or something and then we look for evidence to support it. And then we have uh, social media with the algorithms just to really push it right over the top. You can find people that think just like you that have their own studies that support exactly what you want. That have people that say yes never experienced that like this is what's happening but look look at verse five it says and the pharisees and the scribes asked him we're going to see the word again why do your disciples not walk according to the second time we've seen it tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands and so it's like like this is a moment like be careful when you ask Jesus something, because he might actually answer it. And he says, why aren't they following this thing that we call the tradition of the elders, which is actually called the Mishnah? Why aren't they following it? And so it's a moment of like, hey, you need to be careful, because Jesus will actually answer your questions. And you may not like what he says. And so the, the Mishnah, ultimately, it's the Jewish oral tradition. So the tradition of the elders passed down. You know, it's described, um, it started in the second century AD. That's when they kind of started adding to it. And ultimately, it's described as a fence around the law. And so the idea is this is the law of God. We're going to add the tradition of men, the oral tradition, the Mishnah around the law of God. So we're extra careful so we don't break the law of God. And so what happened was we have these dietary laws, these different things uh, that we can find in Leviticus 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. You could read about them. Things that you shouldn't touch. If you get a weird rash, you can't go to church. Uh, if you touch a dead person, you can't go to church right away. How do we deal with these things? Like, like God gave us those laws. And ultimately, it's pushing us to realize that no matter what we do, we're always going to have a level of defilement being presentable before god it's exhausting it's never going to be a sure thing it's pushing us to a desperation of there's a dirtiness not just around me but inside of me that i need dealt with but what happened was that law wasn't quite safe enough so it's like man we better wash our hands a certain way i mean you get around those gentiles you don't know what they've been touching you better like take a bath all these things were being added to it and so they look at the disciples and said why aren't they following our rules? They weren't denying that there was a problem. You know, this is actually the default of all of us. If you look back in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3, you don't have to go there. But like what you see there is you see a, a Satan comes uh, to Eve and he says this, did God actually say like, like, think about how that sounds. Did God actually say, and then he goes on, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Like right there, that's what temptation does. That's what Satan still does. It comes and says, like, listen, girl, I have been watching you. I've been watching how God interacts with you. He is completely unreasonable. He's trying to hold you down. He doesn't want you to know everything he does. He's trying to keep you down. And it's like, did God actually say that? And if you look at what happened, in verse 2 it says this, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That means the middle of the garden. And then it goes on and it says, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Mishnah. You see, if you look back in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, God didn't say anything about touching it. For all intended purposes, they could have built a tree house there. But hey, if we want to make sure we don't eat it, we can't really trust the law of God. It's just not quite safe enough. We need an extra barrier around it. See, there's always a good reason to add an extra barrier to keep safe. But that's telling us something. We think the barriers will fix it. That's outside in don't taste don't touch do this and a lot of the things don't do that do this are good things they just can't change your soul they just can't take that feeling of unpresentableness that feeling of dirty that feeling of i need to be washed away 
See, the Mishnah and the oral tradition of the elders, it served as a fence around the clean laws of the Old Testament just to try to be extra safe so we can know that we're okay. Yeah, so what are some examples of outside-in change? Outside-in change, you, you can find there's huge sections in, in bookstores. Bookstores are places you go and you can like walk out with an actual book. Um, it's an actual hard copy or soft copy. Um, and so there's huge sections about it. And a lot of times there's good things in there. There's just not saving things in there. And so like different ways that we try to do it. Religion itself. Like religion, all the world, world religions, and including a lot of Christianity, like, like go to church, tithe money, serving kids. You should do all of those things, just not to save your soul, but like all of those things. Pray, read the Bible. Like if we religion well, the belief is if I do those things well and really mean it, and like get my worship grunge on when we sing the right songs, like if I really mean it, if I just do that right, then the dark stain in my soul will go away. It's outside in, and it saves no one. Or, or a really hot one right now, politics. You know, if we make the right policies and programs, and by all means, we should pursue right policies and programs, but we think that's what's going to save humanity. Like, if we just get in the right system, then it's going to fix all the things. You know, it's going to clean up our history or our greeds or our injustices or inequalities. And like, like government is meant to reward those who do good, to punish those who do wrong, to make just laws. Like it's meant for that. But it's still outside in. It can't change the hearts of people. Or, 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 or education. Like it was, it was once a pretty highly held belief that if people had access to good information, they would stop doing really, really bad things. And then the internet was invented, and no one believes that anymore. Or let me share you in on a, on a personal one. You know, a personal outside-in kind of religiosity thing that you think might cover up the dark spot on your soul. Pastoring. You know, pastoring, or, or, or maybe I could say preaching, like it, thinking, if I do that well, then it will fix me. If we grow and we see people change, then it will erase the dark thing that I feel in my life. It doesn't work. It's outside in. There's so many other things that we run to to try to fix us from the outside in. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work. Outside in was a religious tradition that's what it was pushing. It's what every religion and a lot of Christianity pushes. And it will never work. And so outside in. Number two, pointing and yelling. Really popular today. Uh, what we do is we point the flaws of others or point to our successes and strengths to redirect attention away from the dark stain that we feel. And so in verses 16, uh, 6 through 13, it at best like might work like to temporarily redirect the gaze of others from the stain that we can't fix. And so in like verses 6 through 13 like Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. They're like, "Oh, why don't they wash their hands?" He's like, "Oh, you want to talk about the law? Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about the tradition that we've made and let's see if it actually cares about the law of God." And so he goes on and he describes this look at verse 10. He says, "Moses said, so this is the 10 commandments." He's going to zoom in on one. He says, let's talk about the law, like if you really care about the law. Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So Exodus 20. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is now Corban, that is, given over to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So he says, listen, so you, you're, you're worried about the washing, that, that you're saying, follow this oral tradition, follow this Mishnah, but in that oral tradition, it doesn't honor the, the word of God, it doesn't honor the law. And so he goes to commandment five, it's how you remember it. Five, it rhymes with hive. Bees live in hives and they have a queen bee, honor your father or mother. Remember that. And so it says, commandment five. 
You say, oh, I'm supposed to honor my mom and dad. They're aging. They need help. Well, forget that. Corbin. Just kind of trump that with Corbin. And now I gave money to the church so I don't have to honor them. Be careful when you ask Jesus some questions. Around the holidays, man, I just, um, man, I was kind of just in a funk. And so uh, I was like, man, what do I need to do? I started meditating on scripture. It's a brilliant idea. You should meditate on scripture. And so I just started reading the same passage over and over. Uh, this was over several weeks. And uh, I was reading Philippians uh, 4. I was meditating on Philippians 4. And uh, what was really drawing me there was let your reasonableness be evident to all. And I was thinking, man, there are some people who really need to be reasonable. Like, what is wrong with them? And so then I turned that question to God. Like, God, what is wrong with them? They're not being reasonable. And this is, <laughs> this is what God said. I mean, I didn't hear him. Uh, but it, it probably would have been less painful if I would have just heard him. But this is what he said. He's like, oh, you want to talk about something unreasonable? What's unreasonable is you meditating on them being unreasonable to change them. That is unreasonable. Let's talk about what's unreasonable in your heart. And so he exposes their hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is a deep problem in humanity. Like in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis describes it as everyone hates it. Everyone despises it. When they see it, they jeer at it. They can't stand it. But he says, I've never talked to anyone outside of Christians that see it in themselves. See, ultimately, like, hypocrisy is play pretending. It's a detailed accounting of the deficiencies in others, their actions or their convictions and beliefs, but a general vague mentioning of your own flaws. Like, it sounds like, I can't believe he, she, or they, you know, that's the big one right now, I can't believe they, I can't believe they would have the audacity. And then you present the Excel document of all their flaws, and you're like, hey, you can like, that can go alphabetical if you want to sort it. Or you can sort it according to social harm. I mean, whatever way, I have a detailed list of what they've done. But then when it comes to what your sin is, it's kind of like, well, I mean, we're all sinners. No one's perfect. And so a keen awareness to say, they're not washing their hands. He said, commandment five. Honor your father and mother, your aging grandparents. Well, I gave money, I gave money to the church, so I don't have to help them anymore. See, ultimate hypocrisy has a list of serious sins and no big deal sins. And the serious sins typically describe other people's deficiencies, and the no big deal sins typically define my deficiencies. And so he said, this pointing the finger and yelling, it actually can only like change the gaze of people that they might not see what you're trying to hide. It does nothing to fix it, and God sees it clearly. Third, run and hide. Like this is the idea we think if we can get away from those really polluting, filthy things, we'll be okay. This is kind of like the hide your kid, hide your wife approach to sin. Verse 14, it says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear me. All of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And so that's saying like the problem with like running and hiding from sin. And by all means, like there are places you should not be. There are temptations that given long enough, you will fall. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. Because if the seeds of it are already in your heart. They're already constrained. Constrained. Can, they're already there. That's what I'm trying to say. But it's saying wherever you go, you're there. And sin is not originating of the outside in the world and filtrating inside of you. The sin in the world is coming out of the hearts of people. And so after, after this relationship and that relationship have been like a disaster, you think, well, man, if I just get the right relationship, I'll be all right. But yet it keeps being in every relationship. Like, could it possibly be something in your heart? 
or, or I worked at that place and that boss was terrible and that place and he was terrible. And the coworkers, they're like demonic. You know, and possibly if it's all the places, could there be an unrepentant like, like pride in your own heart? Or, yeah, yeah I try to go to church because I know I should, but man, I just, you know, the pastor's kind of funny for a little while and then he's just not deep enough. Like the Pharisees trying to find fault. Like, I'm not saying there's not bad relationships. I'm not saying there's not bad bosses. I'm not saying there's not bad pastors. I'm saying every pastor's part bad. So buckle up, you know? I'm saying there's nowhere you can go that the sin and the stain on your soul is not present, and it will come out. And, like, you need to be honest. 2020 didn't cause anything in you. It just exposed it. 2020 didn't cause anything in your family. It just exposed it. It was just the weight on the bridge that showed the fracture lines. And if you believe in the gospel, you have hope. Because the gospel addresses it right now. You didn't think it was there. You didn't know it was there. Now you know it's there and you can hold it up to Jesus. And what Ephesians tells us is whatever you hold up to light becomes light itself. And so maybe it caused like marriage problems. They were already there. Hold it up to Jesus and say, I need help and he might turn that into light itself, and then you might be a ministry unto marriages that need help, where you can just say, man, it wasn't three steps to help us. I had to admit, I'm a jerk. And the craziest thing happened. She already knew it, and she loved me anyways. She saw the pollution, and she still loved me. I had to stop having a detailed list about her sins and a vague list about my deficiencies. So I started to have a detailed list about my sins because they're the only sins I have access to deal with. That is the gift of pressured situations if you believe the gospel. So we have these different approaches. Verse 17, it says, and when he had, and this is just to show how deep it is. And when he had entered the house, so he told all the people, he's like, listen, it's not just what you eat. It's not what's outside. It's what's coming out of you. And so, like, that's not like a story. He didn't say there was a man, you know, went down this road, and he found out. There's not a parable going on. It's pretty black and white. It's not something from the outside that's causing you to sin. It's something on the inside that's causing you to sin. It's coming from your heart, a stain in your soul. Now, look at the, that's pretty black and white. Look at, look at the, the disciples. He says, and when they entered to the house... And left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Parable. Surely that's got to mean something else. Surely you're not saying the problem is just me. Like, it's deep. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding, because it's not a parable. It's not hypothetical. It's not philosophical. I'm telling you what is in you. Then you have no understanding. Do you not? And then, and then Jesus, just to really accentuate the point, he tells a poop joke. So here we go. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And so in the Greek, it's literally going to like winds up in the latrine. And then, thus he declared all foods clean. That's in parentheses. Do you see that? And then verse 20, and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, for from, I'm sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man, look at this list, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within. And they, and not just they, but from where they come from, the heart of man is defiled itself, and they defile a person. Look at me. Jesus is saying, whatever you put on that list of others that you think is so condemnable, all the seeds of it is already in your heart. That given the right circumstances and the right pressures, you would, you would dare to know what could come out of you apart from the grace of God. Jesus is saying, it's not a parable. 
I'm looking directly into your soul, and I'm telling you where evil originates. It's not something that you can hide from. It's not something that we can just kind of clean and wash away. It's not something that we can just avoid reading Harry Potter and you'll be okay. My kids love it. It's not something like that. It's far deeper than that. It's far more assiduous than that. It is far darker than that. And it is a stain upon your heart that has to be dealt with. He's saying there is no deceit. Look at these words. There is no deceit, envy, slander, or foolishness that you, disciples, are not capable of given the right circumstances. Do you see him written black and white on the paper? Do you see him in your heart? He's saying there is no sexual perversion, theft, or murder that, that your heart cannot justify a way to say, well, yeah, but my circumstances are different. You don't know what he was like, or you don't know what she was like, or you don't know how I grew up. Like He's saying like these words are coming off Jesus' lips. Like Sometimes people are going to be like, well, Jesus taught us to love. Now, Paul, that guy had issues, and so he pointed everything out. Jesus is giving us a list. Do you see it coming off Jesus' lips? Do you see it in your heart? Or it says, the coveting that is growing in your heart will always take you dark places if you continue to feed it. It will never look at you, the, the coveting, the lust, the mean that I want something else, I'm never satisfied. Whatever the object is you're looking to that, it will take and take and take and it will crush and crush and crush and it'll never be like, I'm satisfied. Every time it comes up for air, it'll want more and more and more. Jesus says the part of our heart that is decayed is endless in its, look at that word, wickedness. The stain of wickedness that we are certain lives in our soul. That when we're honest and we admit it, that we, we try to achieve things and we try to work hard to try to misdirect and to cover it up or to make up for it. Or we try to look at people and if enough people look at us and say that we're okay because we can't say no to them, we have to serve them, we never say no, that we're trying to redirect and cover up and it never works. It still persists inside of us. Jesus is saying what you see is right. Pharisees, there's something dirty in all of us. There's something unpresentable. It's worse than what you think. And all your efforts to, to, to point and yell outside in to try to curb it and fix it or, or simply just to, what was my other point? It was incredible. Run and hide. Hide your, hide your kids. Hide your wife. It doesn't work. And we see it from the very beginning. If you remember Genesis 3, like we, we, we reference it a lot because it helps me see what humanity, it helps me see what's inside of me. Right after Adam and Eve, they sin, what happens? They don't just realize they're naked, they feel naked. Now that's different. Like, like, like being naked and feeling naked is very, very different. Feeling naked means you feel exposed. You feel like people have seen something and they're judging and, and, and you don't have anywhere to hide it. So what do they do? They grab some leaves and they sew together some leaves. That's where we get all the pictures where the leaves just happen to be in the right spots, you know, because we want to show it to kids and say, start hiding behind leaves. But there's a problem with hiding behind leaves. They wilt. All your accomplishments, some of the aspects that drew me into ministry, all these things that we try to hide, they're grabbing for leaves to cover up what's unpresentable and they always fall apart. From the very beginning, outside in doesn't work. Pointing and yelling doesn't fix us. We can't run and hide from the stain of sin that's in our soul. There's a stain in each of us that is deeper than what politics, education, or even religion can reach to clean. And Jesus affirms that we are soiled. We are unpresentable. There is something that must be cleaned, and no amount of churching it up can fix it. Jesus says, our efforts are fruitless. And it doesn't matter what we call it. It doesn't change its nature. It doesn't change how we feel. 
So really fast. He said, what is the problem? There's a deep sense that when we're still and we think about our past and we think about how we think, there's a certainty that there's something wrong with us, something unpresentable. How do we try to fix it? Man, we try a lot and it's fruitless. What is Jesus' solution to our stain? And Jesus' solution to our stain is found in verse 19. And it's really small. It's easy easy to miss. And I don't think, man, you're brilliant. I stole it from a commentary, from a book. Um, But Mark, uh, this is what Mark, Mark, this is called an editorial comment. You see the thing in the parentheses where he says, thus he declared all foods clean. That Jesus didn't say that. Mark added that. And so he's adding that because he's writing down the words of Peter, and Peter's telling the story, and then all of a sudden he says, yeah, man, thus he declared all foods clean. And if you know anything about Peter's story, he had a hard time with this. Like, he found himself taking a nap in Joppa in Acts, and all of a sudden there was a vision before the Lord, and all these you know, foods came down, all these animals, and the angel said, rise up and eat. And Peter was like, no way, man, you're not going to trick me again. He's like, man, I, I fell for that. Like, I'll never, you know, leave you or forsake you, Jesus. I fell for that. You can't mess me up again. I'm not going to eat that bacon sandwich. No way. Although it looks delicious. You know, I mean, he said, no way. See, it was hard for him to get past. This is how we are right. These were physical reminders. The same way that people fast, it doesn't make you more spiritual. It's a physical reminder of a dependence and a need. I need the words of God more than I need food. It was a physical reminder that no matter what we do, we always end up soiled. We always come back to the deficiency that is unpresentable. And so he came to that place once again. He says, man, no way. And in telling the story, he said, thus Jesus, remember, he declared all foods clean. And so Mark has fewer editorial comments than, than Matthew, Luke, and John. Far fewer. And so when he says something, we should kind of, we should really look in. And so like, look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Jesus said all foods were actually okay all along. Like Leviticus got everyone worked up. He doesn't do that. He says, we don't ignore any of the scriptures, not a jot or a tittle. Nothing. It all stands unless it's fulfilled. Or, or he doesn't say, Man, it used to be that way because, you know, limited cultural understanding. They didn't really do the scientific method, you know, so they kind of understood it that way, but it's different now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say the predicaments, the cultural predicaments of Leviticus 11 through 15 is outdated and irrelevant. He doesn't say that. It says Jesus declared them clean. Jesus looked at them and says, it has thus been fulfilled in me. There is no more need of that reminder because I will take all sin upon myself. As I spoke everything into existence, nothing into something, I declared it to be so and it was. As I looked at the raging storm and I declared it to be calm as it was. As I looked at Jairus' dead daughter and declared her to be alive and it was, I now look at those laws and declare them to be clean. They are no longer impure. The power of God to declare what is unclean, clean, is our only hope. This is what all the prophets looked to when they saw the depth of the stain in our soul. Listen to these verses. Jeremiah 33, 8. God saying, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me, declared. Or or Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart, declared. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will, I declare it. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will give you a new heart. I will take the stain from your heart and make your heart alive. Jesus declared it. Or Ezekiel 37, verse 23. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. Like, like right there, you're like, oh man, please, Jesus. And right here it says, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 
we need a God to declare us clean. This is also what David begged for after the stains of his heart surfaced in his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her wife, her husband, Uriah. That's how it works. Listen to Psalms 51, verses 1, 2, 9, and 10. David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Listen to this. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the list can go on and on. They all saw the stain that we feel. And they saw that it could not be fixed by our doing, but only by something that would be done. Thus declared Jesus when he said they were clean. And so the Apostle Paul describes it like this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he, Jesus, or he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Your new heart was declared at the cross of Christ. Have you claimed it? We have to lay down our, our damnable doings, although some of those doings are good. We have to lay them down and say they are insufficient to undo what has been done. They can't wash out the stains. And ultimately, we look every week toward communion because we remember what it costs. And so if you're a Christian and you're with us, the way we're taking communion right now is through these goofy little cups. But we take it and it's, once again, just like fasting reminds us, a physical reminder of a spiritual need. I need the words of God more than I need food. And just like the, the continual washing and staying away from certain foods reminded me that there's a pollution in me that can't be dealt with. So Jesus declared that the bread of the Passover was now representative of his body that was broken for you. Christian, the body of Christ broken for you. And then he took the cup and he declared it to be different. He said, this is no longer a sign of the passing over or a sign of the sacrificial lamb that really couldn't say. It's a sign of the ultimate sacrificial lamb, my blood that is spilled out for your life. Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, Lord, I pray for the mystery of the cross to loom even louder. And Lord, I pray for a desperation of the soul that when we look at the dark blots that still exist, that we would say, Jesus, I need you to make it light. And Lord, that would not mean we don't seek accountability and we don't confess it. We, we would trust all the promises of God because they're from you and your ends are provided through your means. But the greatest means to provide your end of salvation to make your people presentable to you is through the cross of Christ. And so Lord, help us, help us look at that. Help us hold that. Help us praise that. Help us wonder about that. Help us feel repentant for if the angels in 1 Peter long to look into the gospel and we treat it so carelessly, help us revive our hearts. Um, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.